The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to episode 9 of Cruel Summer, our look back at each and every G1 Climax Tournament Finals from the years 1991 to 2018. My name is WH Park, I'm the co-host of the Post Perez uh, podcast, which you can listen to here at postwrestling.com, and uh, I do that show every month with John Pollock. But this is not Post Perez, this is Cruel Summer, and uh, I usually have a a rotating uh, list, a Rolodex. Do people use Rolodexes anymore? I don't know. But I have a rotating list of, of guest hosts who come out and help me talk about the, the matches that we're going to review and analyze and pontificate about. And uh, making his second appearance on this particular show is uh, my maritime friend, Mr. Matt McEwen. Matt, how are you, sir? Good. How are you doing, WH? I'm pretty good. Uh, we... Am I the first repeat performance? You, you probably are. Uh, and I think that's like both chronologically and like my recording schedule. So just just to pull back the curtain a bit, I I do record some of these out of order because of like people's schedules. I'm in Japan. Some people are in the United States. Some people are in Canada. Some people are going to be in Australia. Some people are going to be in the United Kingdom. So it's, it's kind of hard to coordinate schedules exactly to the to chronology of the G1 <laughs> schedule, like year by year. So you are the first repeater on this show so congratulations i'm, I'm very excited i'm honored I, I have a i have a bootleg all japan champions carnival t-shirt waiting for you as your gift Ugh. okay we won't go more than beyond that i don't want people like adding me later on like fuck you that shirt's awesome listen if you like this shirt that's great awesome i don't i don't care I honestly do not care. And this, this thing's going to air like four months after that whole shitstorm happened. So it's going to just gonna, restart my whole Twitter flaming. No, 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 not at all. But like, I'm just saying, like, if people like it, <laughs> it's cool. I don't care about it. Like, I, I, it's a little bit busy for my taste. But hey, I can understand why people do like it. But anyways, we're, we're not here to talk about uh, wrestling attire. Uh, we're here to talk about wrestling matches. Uh, what have you been watching recently? Uh, recently I'm, I'm, well, we're doing this in uh, the middle of May, so this will probably air a little bit later, but uh, we're in the middle of the best of the super juniors right now. So I've been trying to keep up a little bit with that failing badly because everything starts at like six o'clock in the morning here when I'm getting ready to go to work. So, yeah, I, I'm caught up. I, uh, I, I had a bit of a break because I went to, uh, Tokyo to watch, uh, Noel Gallagher play live. So that was awesome. So I caught up yesterday. So I, I caught up to, uh. Night four. So at the time of this recording, night five is going to happen later tonight. So I'm going to try to catch that live. But uh, yeah, best of Super Juniors. It's it's been pretty up and down for me. I have to say, uh, like some of the some of the stuff has been like the really good stuff is really fucking good. 
But some of the like the average stuff is like, mm, eh, I could take it or leave it. But some of the bad stuff is really fucking bad too. You know, it's not the G one. Uh, I, I I haven't checked uh, Dookie yet, and I'm sure this will be a hot take a month later. But uh, I haven't heard very very good things about him. Uh, I, I made a point of checking out the show versus uh, Chingo match, which uh, I think is my favorite match of the year so far. So yeah, uh, the, the high points have been high at least. No, that's that's an awesome match. That's like definitely up there for me as one of it. Like going to go on my match of the year, you know, list at the end of the year. Um, no, I like I like the 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 Osprey Rocky Romero match. Fantastic, amazing. Like just Rocky Romero is like is it's a wonder to me that he isn't booked like this more often. I think if he's like used this way, he can be like as relevant as anyone that is actually pushed as a wrestler in that company, as opposed to just being pushed as like the, the manager and as a color commentator for their English broadcasts. Like I'm hoping from this point on, like he, he goes forward, he teams more with, you know, show and yo as like the full Rapungi 3k trio. And that he's not the pin eater. Like I was going to tweet this out the other day, but I, I'm going to save it for this show. Like, you know, uh, I don't think it's a dated comment that, if Rocky Romero is in a multi-man tag match with uh, anyone of the ilk of Chase Owens, Yoshihashi, uh, Yujiro Takahashi, that he is not the one who should be eating a fucking pin, okay? Those guys should eat the pin each and every time because they are jobbers. Rocky Romero is not a jobber, and that's my, my take on Best of the Super Juniors uh, so far. But the Osprey-Romero match, go out of your way to see. It's very, very good. All right, I'm going to watch that one more time. It's on, it's on your to-see list? Yes, sir. It is now. Okay, that's awesome. All right, so let's talk about the 1999 G1 Climax. Uh, and this is kind of a notable G1. It was held over five days. And this was the first year that New Japan ventured outside of Sumo Hall and the Tokyo area for some of the shows. Uh, so the first two shows were held at the Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium, uh, now known as Osaka Edeon Arena. And the remaining three days moved back to uh, Tokyo, back to Sumo Hall for the, the, the closing of the tournament. Uh, also, let's talk about the, the, uh, the format. The 91 G1 was a 12-man round-robin league, consisting entirely of New Japan contracted talent with no outsiders. So it was very interesting. Sometimes you had previous years where like, you know, people from different companies like Social Progress Wrestling Federation, War, would, would, would participate in the G1, not this year. Uh, let's talk about A-Block. Do you have the, uh, the list in front of you, Matt? Of the I do. Well, tell us who, who is in A-Block. A-Block, we have uh, my all-time favorite wrestler, uh, Keiji Muto. So this was kind of a fun one for me, going back looking at Muto 20 years ago. Uh, Yuji Nagata, before he was a dad, he, he's just a, a young pup. Uh, Kensuke Sasaki, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami, who even at this point would have been a grandfather more than a dad. Uh, I, he- I heard a guffaw. No, no, uh, I was, I was to- chuckling. That was a ch- that was a <laughs> chuckle. That was not a guffaw. <laughs> uh, Satoshi Kojima and uh, Tadeo Yasuda. I think it's Tadao Yasuda. I was positive I was going to mispronounce something in there, so if that's all I did wrong, I'm doing pretty good. That's uh, that's my job here to correct uh, uh, Westerners on their pronunciation of Japanese names. Not that I'm perfect about it either. I'll just put that out there. How about B Block, Matt? B Block. We've got 
the Jurassically immovable human now, Manabu Nakanishi. That was a bad pronunciation, but no, I'll that, do what that, I, can. I think I, I usually pronounce it Manabu Nakanishi. I think that was fine. Please continue. Okay. Uh, we've got Hiroshi Tenzon, uh, Mr. G1, before he was Mr. G1, I believe. Uh, master of the Hip Attack, Shiro Koshinika. Naka. Naka. Koshinaka, sorry. Uh, Mr. August, Masahiro Chono. Uh, everybody's favorite doughboy, Shinya Hashimoto. And somebody I have to admit that I am not particularly familiar with, Kazuo Yamasaki. Yeah, I just reviewed uh, the Yamazaki match from, I believe it was, uh, yeah, 98, the year before with uh, Dylan Fox from the Eastern Laird. And my God, you should watch that match. It's fucking awesome. I would say it's in my top three of G1s I've reviewed so far. So I've All reviewed right. uh, like, like nine so far. It's like, it's in the top three. It's so good. And like Shinya Hashimoto in that match is amazing. You will, you will believe that a man, his size and girth, can fly like a, like can fly like a sparrow like like a dragon decimating King's Landing. That's how he flew when he hit this flying elbow onto Kazuo Yamazaki in that match. Uh, so you 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 weren't surprised and saw it coming for years. What the the, the elbow drop? Yes, it was well, a you... it was a big heel turn on his part. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'll put that on my uh, my evening to watch list as well. Yes, definitely. It's it's a really really fun match. Uh, yeah, so that those are our, our our twelve men in this in this G one. Uh, let's play the age game. How old is Keiji Muto in nineteen ninety nine, Matt? Mr. Muto would be thirty three. A little older than that. I thought he was like fifty three now, so I guess I'm wrong. He is thirty seven years old in nineteen ninety nine. Oh, and then. Uh, and with the skullet of a 45-year-old. That is, we'll be talking about his hairline in this match, trust me. Uh, how about uh, Nakanishi? How old is Nakanishi? He would be a little year- younger, of course, than Mudo. Yeah, Nakanishi, he would be 30. He Just a little bit older. He's 32 years old in 1999. Okay. So, so there's about five age age difference here. Not, not a really huge gap in terms of like wrestling. I feel, or life in general, but the, the experience level is definitely very visible in this match. I feel so. Well, Nakanishi would only be—he turned pro after going to the Olympics in '92, so he would have started in '93. So he's only a six-year pro, right? Yeah, but and... it, it, I think his learning curve was a lot like steeper than say like Nagata or Kojima. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Whereas Muto would have been '83 or '84. He started. He started very young. In the dojo, yeah, and then he did this the, the excursions down in the United States, mainly in in Florida. I think he was the white ninja in the Florida territory before he became the great Muda in uh, Jim Crockett Promotions. Well, he was he was the white ninja, and he was the super ninja, and I think he was the super white ninja between like Florida and Puerto Rico and world class before becoming great Muda in uh, in in WCW. Yeah, I think it's still WCW. It's it's. Still kind uh, yeah, of Jim yeah. Crockett promotions. I always yeah. think of it as JCP at this point. Then, then like when Flair, just before Flair leaves, it becomes you know WCW. The the this the is true. Turner buyout. But anyways, we don't want to talk about the too too much history beyond 1999 here. Uh, so let's talk about uh, so Muto and Nakanishi are the the finals that we're going to talk about. Let's talk about their paths to the G1 finals. Uh, 
Muto, on his way to the G1 Finals, uh, beat everyone in his block except for Tatsumi Fujinami. <laughs> and he ended the granddad. up... The granddad, yeah. He ended up tied for first place with uh, Yuji Nagata. So both of them had eight points, respectively. Uh, so they ended up having an A-block decision match right before the finals, which is an idea I really think they should bring back to like these tournaments. Sometimes it's it, like you, the math is a little wonky, tiebreakers and such, but I kind of like this idea of like, okay, these ties are tied, let's have a tiebreaker uh, match. And then Nakanishi, he also beat everyone in his block except for Masahiro Chono. Uh, so he finished ahead of everyone else with eight points uh, alone in his block. Any thoughts about that, Matt? Well, I, I, I'm with you. I kind of like the uh, the unpredictability of, of a tie every once in a while, or to break up the predictability of one guy's going to win, the other guy's going to win. Uh, the Champions Carnival kind of did a, a variation on that this year, which I thought was kind of fun as well. Yeah, but, I, uh, I, just for the Carnival, I, di- I didn't like that, Like, you know, Lee and Nomura face each other again. I think it would have been better if it was like someone who who didn't who didn't have like a long match. They had a kind of a long match the first night, but I'm I'm, I'm quibbling here about that that result because I did like the match that Nomura and Lee had to break the tie, and then the the match the, that followed the next night at Corkin, uh, Lee and Kento Mihara was fantastic. So I'm not going to complain too much about that. Yeah, but uh, and I think it, it, it in this case it set things up nicely because Muto is coming in the IWGP champ. Already a living legend, you know, uh, the best of the three musketeers still still running around there. And uh, then you had Nakanishi, who's an upstart. He's two or three years back from WCW on his excursion. He hasn't really stood out as a singles yet. He's, you know, he's popular with the crowd. He's been a tag champ. But now he's coming in considerably fresher than Muto was. So it's a good setup. It's a good setup, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, generational battles are always a great... Like backdrop to you know title matches, and in this case, uh, like probably at this point, the G one's pretty established as a very very important prestigious like accolade that you can get as a New Japan wrestler. So let's go to the finals, which were held on August fifteenth at Sumo Hall. So we start off, and we see that this is the NWO Keiji Budo uh, version that we see here. Uh, he's being seconded by uh, Hiroyoshi Tenzan and Hiro Saito, his fellow members in NWO Japan. Uh, Mudo is already drenched in sweat as I mentioned he had previously had the block decision match with Nagata uh, and also he actually wrestled Kojima before to like get to to tie with Nagata and then they had a match after it so he's already wrestled twice so in Sumo Hall in August I can understand why he looks like he just went for a swim mat yeah but the bad thing for Muto is when you look like you go for a swim with the hairline that he has, you can see every little bit of his skull through the thinning, thinning top. Yeah, so this is like, you know, the, the point of Muto where, like, everything's like, his hair is longer, he's kind of kind of got a mullet, but he's got that humongous bald spot at the top of his head that, that can be, that you can see from every angle because his hair is wet, so it's like just dripping down. Like, if it's dry, he can, like, comb it up a bit, so it, it can hide it a little. But this this would play into his, like, his hairstyle the year a year later when he would I think he just looked at himself and thought, okay, this looks like shit. I I, I gotta just shave this fucking thing off. So, and I think was one of the best decisions he's ever made was to like shave his hair and then grow his goatee. I think he, that's his signature look for an entire generation of fans 
Yeah, uh, like I said, he's he's my all-time favorite wrestler. He's also been my my inspiration for two things, which is to don't hold on to the hair too long, and when it's gonna go, just let it go. Just let it go. I I'm okay. Like I can, like I have a decent head of hair still. So like if there's any bald spots, like which I I might be in denial about. You can't see them from the front, so it's okay. So I don't really think about it too much. Uh, let's talk about Nakanishi. He he actually wrestled earlier in the night. He had a 15-minute, a 15-and-a-half-minute match with Hashimoto before coming into the match with Budo. So that, that I'm sure that wasn't any fun for him. No, I, I don't imagine wrestling Hashimoto was too much fun for too many people. He's a, a very large man who liked to hit very hard. Yeah, so... He, and given Nakanishi's style at the time, I would imagine he put in a good bit of effort to try and throw Mr. Hashimoto. Yeah, I'm sure he tried to, like, suplex him. I haven't watched that match. I, I, I have to be kind of judicious about my viewing habits, so uh, I will go watch that later on. But, uh, yeah, just Hashimoto kicking people, that's, it's like, I can't even imagine what Nakanishi must have felt like today going into this match with Mudo. But let's go back to the match itself. So we start with Mudo with a big drop kick drop kick to start and then just immediately sumo hall erupts with a huge mudo chant uh nakanisi uses his amateur background and power to gain an advantage over mudo and then he turns a bear hug this is into a belly-to-belly suplex and uh backs uh, and, and locks in a chin lock and then starts putting the boots to him so he's basically just running through all these different moves on mudo which i feel don't make any sense he's not the most logical like wrestler, I feel, you know, when he when he's chaining together moves, he's like, I gotta work on the back, the chin, the legs, the the chest, the arms. Okay, back to the neck, you know. Yeah, uh, that that definitely stood out. It's not exactly a, uh, a, a psychological masterpiece of the way it's structured, but Muto really uh, plays into what Nakanishi. Doesn't doesn't do well and makes it all play really well together. I thought the the way he's you know, he's struggling, and then starts with the knee, which is I'm sure where you're about to go here. Uh, yeah. One one qu- quick point I want to make about like uh, Nakanishi, like he is aesthetically. I've never thought he was that great of a worker, but like aesthetically, you can see what New Japan saw in him, like his his look, his build, his amateur background, of course, but also like. He just had that, you know, like that throwback to the days of like Inoki and Sakaguchi, Chon- uh, no, not Chono, uh, Choshu and Fujinami with his black trunks, no knee pads and black boots. So he's like what they wanted to kind of still promote this image of New Japan strong style at this point. Yeah, and I, I have to say, like, I would never have called him a, a definitely never a great wrestler and sometimes not even good. But he was always interesting to watch when he could move prior to his back injury and getting really old. But uh, so at this point, he's he's an imposing looking dude and he can toss you pretty easily with the wrestling background. So uh, I can see, like you said, I can see what they saw in him and I could see why they were trying to move him into the position that they're trying to move him into. Yeah, it, you got to try, especially with someone his his background. I think a lot of hype surrounding his signing, but you know, in, in retrospect, it just never really worked out. Uh, let's get back. So at this point, Mudo hits his power drill elbow for a one count. Uh, then we move to a, a very boring wrist control segment, which leads to Mudo shooting Nakanishi into the corner and follows with his handspring elbow, 
only to be caught by a German suplex. No, wait, it's an Argentinian backbreaker. Very strange psychology. I was, you know, he get he gets caught, Mudo gets caught, and I think, okay, he's got him by the wrist, he's behind him, and I can see he's going to German suplex him, because that would make sense, right? No, into the Argentinian breakbreaker, which is his finisher. Like, uh, just confusing to me, Matt. It, it was confusing to me as well. The, the crowd was really into the backbreaker, though. They were confused for a second as to where it came from, but they were really into the backbreaker. So there was that going for it, at least. Yeah, and then Mudo uh, gets out of it. He escapes the uh, the uh, Argentinian breakbreaker. He hit he hits a seated drop kick, follows up with a dragon screw leg whip, a figure four leg lock, and uh, but Nakanishi gets to the ropes. Then uh, Mudo hits a beautiful top rope missile drop kick, hits a top rope Frankensteiner for a two count, and goes back to the figure four, but another rope break. So like Mudo's just like th- thinking, "Fuck this!" I, he hit me with his Argentinian breakbreaker. I'm gonna I'm gonna now use all my big moves at this point in the match, Matt. Yeah, and it, it, to me, it kind of came across like he felt the backbreaker, realized this is not good. I don't need to get there again. I need to take him out now, and starts really working hard on the knee. You know, so the seated drop kicks are going to the knee, the the uh, dragon screw into the figure four, which is really kind of the focal point of the back half of the match. Um, it was kind of seemed a little bit desperate to try and get through the match. Yeah, I think he's like thinking, okay, this doesn't make any sense. I don't know if they pre-planned all these spots. I doubt it. I don't think they worked that way. But he's probably thinking, okay, I got to take control of this match again. But that being said... I'm I'm giving it the hindsight look in the kayfabe sense. I'm pretty sure he would have been like, what the hell is going on? I need to take control now. Yeah. Uh, But we're going to get back to Nakanishi uh, control part of of this match. And uh, you can see um, in the background, you can see his... Uh, best friend forever, Yuji Jigata, uh, lending support to Nakanishi, sitting in his corner. Uh, at this point, Nakanishi hits a big German suplex with a bridge. Absolutely beautiful. One of the things that I think he does really, really well. And he gets a two count on that. Uh, now the crowd, at this point, is really fired up. And Mudo yells. And this crowd is alive. I think at some point, just Mudo yells, ah! and then the crowd just like starts chanting his name even more. It's it's really amazing like to see this kind of the point in the match in any match in New Japan where people are just like going nuts for simple things, Matt. Yeah. And, and like I said, this may not be the uh, match that would be a, a classic if it happened today, but the crowd is super into it. I got into it watching it. I love Muto. So I, I was, I was pretty into it and the crowd is, there are certain points through the match where you can tell they just have the crowd in the palm of their hands and coming into the, the closing stretch, they, were right along for the ride. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. I made a note that this one yell, this one scream from Mudo, elicited a bigger response from the crowd than anything Nakanishi had done in this match prior to that. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, at this point, uh, Keiji Mudo hits a Frankensteiner and rolls into a figure four again. Uh, you can see Shinjiro Otani outside the ring. He's imploring, like really imploring, get to the ropes, get to the ropes, which I thought added a really, really nice touch to the match at this point. Yeah. And I, I thought the, 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 the Frankensteiner into the figure four was Mudo making a very awkward transition as graceful as possible. But I thought that was a little bit weird, but, uh, the crowd is super into the, to Nakanishi trying to get the ropes. They're also really into Mudo maybe winning. And, uh, you know, anytime the seconds are, are as into it as, as Otani is always adds a little bit for me. So, I was enjoying this match at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I made a point of noting that, 
you know, seeing Shinjiro Otani, like, you know, kind of uh, coaching on Nakanishi to get to the ropes, supporting him is way better than what we see in New Japan these days with like Jado wearing his like stupid bullet club stuff. And with his fucking kendo stick, I'll take Shinjiro Otani yelling, get to the ropes, get to the ropes, and fucking Jado and his, and his kendo stick. I hate that thing. Yeah, but I really like seeing Gato and Jay White matches, though. I know you love those. Oh, yeah. G- Gato with his... He's holding Jay White's necklace. That's tremendous managerial stuff right there. Uh, he should win manager of the year this year over anyone else. I don't know if there's... Every a, year. Every year. Gato, number one manager. Better than anyone else in the business. Uh, let's go back. So, anyways, back to the figure four. Rope break. Nakanishi's not going to get beat with this. Uh, another dragon screw leg whip. Uh, Nakanishi no-sells this particular one, and Muto goes for a second one, but Nakanishi catches him and puts him into... What move does he put him into, uh, Matt? You've caught me flat-footed. I don't know. Yeah, well, what did he do? He, was he, it straight into the backbreaker from there? Yes, of course. Oh, okay. He goes back into the Argentinian backbreaker, and Mudo submits. At this point, this is when the, the match finishes. Uh, pretty, you know, the crowd erupts. I thought it felt a little, not flat, but, like, awkward, like, to, to, to finish at this point. I was I was thinking it'd be another, like, three to five minutes more of, like, going for near falls or submissions, but it, it's fine. I, I'm not going to complain about watching a shorter uh, Nakanishi match, even with someone who I love as much as Keiji Mudo. So uh, Nakanishi uh, wins the G1 in 14 minutes and 43 seconds. And what did you think overall about this match, Matt? All right, so I had never seen this match until I watched it uh, two days ago to get ready for this. And other than apparently uh, forgetting what the exact finish was, uh, I actually kind of enjoyed it. Um, I I think I was talking to our our good friend, the the nicest man on Twitter, Joey Bay, and I, I said, I think people would absolutely hate this match today. But the crowd was super into it, and it was kind of fun, which I kind of I, I kind of still stick with that. Um, and then uh, I was doing a little snooping around the internet today just to see what other people had thought of it, and uh, not a well thought of G one final. Usually ranked as the worst one ever. I don't know if it's the worst one ever. I'll find out, obviously, because I'm gonna watch all the other <laughs> ones. But I would say, like in my notes, uh, this has been this was the weakest one of the nine. G1s I've reviewed so far and you know it's a far cry from like the first one with Chono and Mudo it's a far cry from even the Chono Rick Rude one which I thought was really good and it, it kind of doesn't hold up when you compare it to the, the G1 final from the year before in 98 which was the aforementioned Shinya Hashimoto versus Kazuo Yamazaki which was just an absolute war that just made sense it progressed nicely everything built up to the finish in that match so this one just kind of like, kind of a weird pacing. And the the thing I think about Nakanishi, he's never been a great wrestler because I think he seems lost a lot of the times. Like he, he always seems like he's thinking about what he's going to do next. Like, okay, I'm going to do this move. What am I going to do after that? So he's got this like pacing, you know, this odd, these odd pauses in his matches where he looks like he's thinking, I, I, I'm going to put dollars to cents. He's probably thinking, okay, German suplex. No, wait, Argentine backbreaker. No. German suplex. No, I'm going to do my Hacksaw Jim Duggan impersonation now, which he doesn't do at this point in his career. It, that comes later. I, I almost feel like I have to defend him because everything you're saying isn't totally true. And he kind of moves a bit robotic even before he, you know, destroyed his back. Um, 
but at this point, he, you know, when he does get a hold of you, he can toss you a little bit. He can do some things. And with a, a, somebody like Muto in the ring with him, he, he can be brought to a really good match. But, uh, yeah, I can't really defend him. <laughs> okay, you're not going to defend him then. No. No. That was the best I could do. Well, I, I mean, he's not the worst wrestler to ever, to ever wrestle in Japan. Like, that would be... There, there's a lot worse than him. Like, and who've won the IWGC title. He's not the worst IWGP champion of all time either. Like, like Taito Yasuda, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but Taito Yasuda was a terrible, terrible IWGP champion. He was not a very good wrestler, regardless of that, you know. So, you know, like, just to, to, that, that, we'll keep it at that for Nakanishi. He wasn't the worst, worst wrestler ever to participate in the G1 or to win the IWGP championship. Uh, but anyways, we'll, we'll I'll talk about him in the next episode because he he appears again in the finals against uh, Kensuke Sasaki. So I'll talk about uh, how he fares. Maybe a year's time he becomes a better wrestler. We shall see. So let's go back to uh, my other show notes here. Uh, so G One winner usually gets a title shot, and Nakanishi would get his shot at the IWGP Heavyweight Title on October 11th at the Tokyo Dome against the man he beat to win the G One. Keiji Mudo, and Mudo would get his revenge uh, for this loss and retain his, retain his title against Nakanishi. And Matt, this is an interesting point in Japan's career where they're running multiple dome shows throughout the year uh, in, in Japan, in New Japan at this time. Yeah, and th- this is right around the time where they're starting to kind of burn out the crowd a little bit. And, you know, uh, the top of the card is getting a little bit stale. Mudo's on his uh his his last real good run in new japan he's on the verge of leaving uh hashimoto in 99 would he already been gone or is he on the verge of leaving soon uh he's gonna leave soon because i think the i can't remember when the naoya ogawa incident happens but that's kind of the you know that leads that sets off a chain of events that where he leaves and then they do the whole angle where they form zero one but then it becomes a legit company somehow and, they, and, and all the people that they that, that New Japan put into Zero One to do an invasion angle actually leave the company for real and form their own competition against New Japan, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I think the answer to your somehow question is called Yakuza. Uh, well, we, we don't talk about that like here in public because I live in Japan, Matt. So we put the ixnay on that. Shh, about the, the Y word, okay? We, we don't... Unless we're talking about Chono's kicks, then then we can use that word. But uh, yeah, Chono was all Chono was behind everything, right? It's all because of Chono. But I also think they were burning out on the uh, the NWO idea. This is '99, so like it's. It, I think they're relying too heavily on this like this concept that of black t shirt wearing dudes like running rough shot over the company. Gee, that sounds familiar, Matt. Guys in black T-shirts running a rush shot over a company, yeah, and annoying people, yeah, and full, wearing out their welcome, and full of like, like not so talented foreign people wrestling in the company. Uh, what does that remind me of? I can't place it. But but anyways, um, Muto would get his revenge, and like Nakanishi would eventually win the IWGP title in actually a very very fun match that I saw when it made tape or DVD back in the day when I was a. a, a quote-unquote tape trader so against hiroshi tanahashi and i think which was like his gold watch from the company it's like here you you know thank you for your service here's here's a very short title reign 
you know, which I'm not a big fan of. I, I think if you look back at the history, he's one of those guys that you think probably would be better if he wasn't in the list of champions because he doesn't really add anything to the prestige of that title. Yeah, he might even take it away from it a little bit. I, I'm not one for the, the gold watch title reigns. Uh, I like the fewer people who have the title and the more people who deserve the title and didn't get it, the more the title means. I'm with you so. on that. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. Okay, so let's let's move on to the, the trivia portion. Now, I think you threatened me with your own trivia. Maybe we should get to your trivia for me, Matt. All right, I, I have an Atlantic wrestling history trivia question for you. Yeah, Maritime Wrestling Talk. Yeah, let's go into the show description. Uh, a bit of a spoiler, but I did say Atlantic wrestling, not maritime wrestling. Atlantic wrestling talk. Yay, something new to put in the show description. Yay. Uh, all right. Where did Nakanishi compete in his first international amateur wrestling tournament? Atlantic. Uh, maritime. Mar- Maritimes? Wait, you're confusing no, me. Atlantic. Atlantic. I know. I'm just trying to. Uh, I, I know. Uh, my geography is horrible, so you're going to have to answer that question for me, Matt. It was in the uh, lovely, and I do actually mean that. It's, it's an awesome city. St. John's, Newfoundland. See, that's not the Maritimes? No, that's the Atlantic Provinces. The Atlantic Provinces. I'm so bad with Newfoundland my... is not part of the Maritimes. It is part of the Atlantic Provinces. Though. See, I just lump everything together, which is probably my, my Ontario-Toronto bias and like ignorance and arrogance from being that part of Canada. Biffo. Yeah. Biffo. Biffo. Yeah. Anyways, so it was it was in the lovely city of sorry what, what was that again? St. John's, oh, Newfoundland. Yes, I have to go there someday. I have to go to the. Atlantic. No, you really should. It's awesome. I want to go to the, the the east coast of Canada so badly when I when I eventually move back to being a permanent citizen of Canada again. Well, you're you're invited and hosted if you're going to be anywhere near Nova Scotia. Oh, lovely, lovely. We will do a tour. Oh yeah, I'll take you to Peggy's Cove. I'll show you the Highlands. You know, you know, it's a big thing in Japan, or or used to be, is Anne of Green Gables. Oh, I know. Like, so people like are very familiar with kind of like the the pop culture representation of uh, Prince Edward Island and that kind of like part of Canada. So it's it's kind of funny. I I'm always amazed at like what becomes popular from other countries inside of Japan. But Anne of Green Gables was like the the big Canadian import, not Degrassi, yeah. not Drake, Anne. Of green fucking gables. I'm actually doing a, a long weekend in July in uh, Charlottetown and just outside of it, and I will see many, many buses of Japanese tourists. Lovely. Say, say, uh, running around with their strawberry cordials. Make sure to say kiskete to them, which means uh, safe travels, be safe, you know. They'll... I don't trust you that that's what that actually that's means. That's what it means. If like if, if people if you depart okay here's the Japanese lesson part of the uh, the podcast if you if you're with a bunch of people and you're all going your separate ways going home you'll say this word kiskete which means like be safe basically but means like kind of get get home safely you know it has a lot of meanings I talked about this with John on the last podcast that Japanese literally translating into English is very very difficult it's more context and feelings but. Anyways, just say that. You won't get in trouble, I promise you. Would I ever steer you wrong? Yes. No, no, no. I wouldn't steer you wrong about this. What? When did I steer you <laughs> wrong last August when you were here in Japan to watch the G1s with me? You took me to that place that I almost got my eyes poked at with broken glass. That was Mort. 
that was not no, me. That was more. That was more. Yeah, that was not. Point. That was not us. And and we got. We didn't get to see the match we wanted to see because we missed that because like someone wanted to see the end of you know Tanahashi doing his air guitar bit. But that's okay. What someone should experience that for you know at least once in their lifetime. So we don't blame. Who wanted to wait through the air guitar? Mort. Oh, he comes up a lot in this conversation. He does come up a lot in this conversation. We love you, Mort. If you're yeah. listening to this, we love you. But you know, him and Joey were like, <laughs> we were like waiting for them outside of Budokan, and then I'm saying, let's just go. The show that the Big Japan <laughs> show is going to go. You get, and you guys, you Jonas, were like, no, we should wait for them. I'm like, I'm like, I like those guys, but fuck them. Let's go. We're going to miss the matches. Let's go. Let's go. And later, we didn't think that match would go on like early part. Seemed reasonable to think they would wait. Not for us, no. Yeah, it's true. But like, I remember sitting next to you, and you said, "You're right. We should have just left them there." <laughs> this might become a big shock to both Joey and and Brother Mort when they listen to this, and they think, "Wow, they really they thought that last year. They never said anything to us." But I'm sure I did. Actually, I'm sure I said to them, "Like, you guys fucked up our big Japan viewing after the G1 finals." But, yeah, you're not really shy about stuff like that, so I'm I'm pretty sure you told them. I'm pretty sure I told them too. Yeah, I am not shy about that. But anyways, let's get to. Do you have any more trivia for me though, Matt? No, I think I think that's it. Okay, well, that's it's a good geography lesson for everyone out there. The maritime provinces versus the Atlantic provinces. Okay, uh, let's get to my trivia. So we're going to start with some a bit of some pop culture trivia. Matt, what is the number one song in in North America? Uh, in August of 1999. Oh, something bad like NSYNC or Backstreet Boys? Uh, wrong gender. Oh, the Spice Girls. Not the Spice Girls. It's a solo artist. Oh. Is it something bad? Well, I, it's, it's a matter of taste, isn't it? I, I You might think it's bad. I don't think it's bad. I like this song. so. Uh, uh, I don't know. What is it? It's, okay, it's, some, it's someone from the, the, the Mickey Mouse Club. One of those artists had Britney, Sp- Britney Spears. No, the other one. Oh, good lord! I'm horrible at this. Christina Aguilera, that's "Genie in a Bottle." Genie in a Bottle. See, you might think that's a bad song. I do not. I like Christina Aguilera, which is surprising to some people because of my like my general music taste. Or is not pop music, and it's not like pre-manufactured pop music like this. But it's a very catchy song, so I I quite like it. I might sing it next time I'm at karaoke. Now that I I'm thinking about it. Uh, let's move on to number one album. And you mentioned these, the, the artists just now. Okay. So I've gone through three. I've got three chances here. No, four. I mentioned four. 99. I'm going to say Backstreet Boys. Yes. Correct. What's the name of the album? Do you know? No, God, no. <laughs> it's called Millennium, which I guess, you know, is kind of. Makes sense. Pay, pay also, I think that in the two shows, that is the first trivia question I've gotten right. There you go. Thank you. Thank yes, you very much. Uh, Thank you. Number one movie in in, hmm. in in North America? Armageddon? No, this is it it stars the same guy, but it's actually a good movie. Not not a piece of shit like Armageddon is. Are we is it does it star Bruce Willis or Ben Affleck? Uh Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Ninety nine. It's a good movie. I don't know. I, I feel it's one of his best performances ever in a movie. As an actor, you know? Six, Sixth Sense? Yes, The Sixth Sense. There we go. Yeah, good movie. Uh, let's, that was a good one. It is. I think 
Probably Shia, M. Night Shyamalan's best movie is his first one. Yeah. Unbreakable is better. Unbreakable is very, very good. Uh, and then what's the third one after that? Signs? Is Signs after that? Yeah, that was bad. I, I like Signs. I don't mind Signs so much. It's like the the one with the fucking killer trees is pretty bad. And then the the one with like the fairy okay, tale. That, that, that movie's bad, but it has a chase scene. With the breeze, <laughs> like I, I think I've forgotten that part because it, it was so bad. But literally, they're trying to outrun the breeze. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's a terrible movie. And then there's uh, a that movie so bad it's good. What's it called? I think it's called The Lady in the Water. It stars Paul Giamatti. That's a bad. Yeah. That's a bad movie too. I don't think he makes a return to like his his good movies until like the the the, the found footage movie he did with the, the the crazy grandparents, which I can't remember the name of. The visit, the visit, and then he followed that up with uh, the movie Split. With Split, which is a fantastic movie. I haven't seen Glass yet, so I, I gotta watch. I have heard not good things about Glass, but my fingers are crossed. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it because I I, I like The Sixth Sense. I I like Unbreakable. I like Split, so I'm 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 sure maybe there's something I will like about uh, Glass. So we'll see. Um, let's move on to wrestling trivia. We already talked about who the IWGP champion, so I'm not gonna ask that question. It's Keiji Muto. But, Matt, who are the IWGP Tag Team Champions at this time? I actually have no idea. Okay, it's a tag team called the Mad Dogs. Do you remember the Mad Dogs? I don't. They're a tag team that would be associated with Chono a lot. Uh, it's Michiyoshi Ohara and Tatsutoshi Goto, who they're kind of known for just wearing like these black pants. Michiyoshi Ohara was like the bald guy. And Tatsutoshi Goto is the kind, is slightly older gentleman with like the really bad bleach blonde hair and mustache. Uh, they were okay. They were a fun like heelish mid card tag team, uh, but you know n- not not the greatest you know tag team champions of all time in in New Japan history. Yeah. So at that point they would have been like it was what, Team Two Thousand because they had the NWO split. No, I don't. I think. I don't know if he's he's done Team Two Thousand yet. I think it's not really Team Two Thousand until like Kojima and Tenzan join uh, Chono. I think they're still doing like NWO Japan, like Chono NWO Japan Mudo, maybe. Gotcha. I and I Team Two Thousand is like then it's like what Chono, Norton, these two guys, the Mad Dogs, Kojima, Tenzan, uh, Saito. Scott Norton is like the core, and then some other people join in and out over the years. Um, and then let's move on to All Japan Pro Wrestling. Who would be the Triple Crown Champion? Misawa. Misawa, and I. Th- this is I think he's the second last champion at this point because Kobashi would win the belt, and then Kobashi would be the last Triple Crown Champion before the the Exodus into Noah. Uh, and now let's move to. America, and I have different kind of trivia this time. I, I, I changed it up. So let's talk about uh, main events. So let's talk about SummerSlam, which took place on August 22nd of 1999. What is the main event of SummerSlam at this point, Matt? Mm, I'm going to say Undertaker Austin in 99, wasn't it? No, I think that's before because that, that leads to Bret Hart Survivor Series with Shawn Michaels, right? That whole that whole incident with 
with Shawn Michaels being the guest ref? No, no, Undertaker Austin. Undertaker Austin, that, okay. That, Highway yeah. to Hell? Yeah. No, so it, it's, uh, I think this, this is after that, because Austin is actually, no, Austin's the champion then. He's the champion here too, and it's a triple threat. Oh, this is the one with uh, Foley and, and Triple H. Yes. And I, th- yeah. I think Jesse Ventura is the special guest referee in this match. He was. Yes. While well, he was the governor. He was the governor. <laughs> Who cares? Like, American politics now, no one, no one would bat an eye at that now. Like, I just thought of how ridiculous that sentence was, and then I thought, like, eh, eh no, actually, that would be preferable right now. Yeah. Uh, let's move to WCW. Uh, Road Wild. The big August pay-per-view for WCW, August 14th. What is the main event? And if you can remember the stipulations of this match, that you get extra points. Ugh. All right, by 99, WCW was getting a little dodgy. Wow, that's debatable. So, I, w- I was starting to not enjoy the NWO at that point. It was getting a little long in the tooth. I, I think uh, WCW has always been a bit dodgy. <laughs> throughout its career its history so that's fair that's fair especially in the um, hulk in the hulk hogan like bischoff era I, I i was never a huge fan of the main event scene oh god no uh 99 yeah i have no oh would have been luger it's not luger i'll so i'll tell you it's two members of the nwo fighting each other because i oh, think god. this is the split happens right Wolfpack, hollywood Oh, so is it Hogan and Nash? It's Hogan and Nash, and it's for the WCW World Title. So the stipulation is the WCW World Title held by Hulk Hogan versus what does Nash put on the line in this match? The letters NWO? If only, no. No. Something better if it actually stuck, you know? Scott Hall sobriety? Uh, Let's not go there, dude. Too far? Maybe. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's, what is it? It's Nash's retirement. Oh, career versus title. Yeah. So Hogan wins. So Nash should have retired, but as is it as it it happens to be in wrestling, it doesn't stick, and Nash would come back later on. But for a while, we, shocking. For a while, in that moment, I, I wasn't a big Kevin Nash fan back then. Uh, for a while, I, I I fooled myself into having a bit of hope that maybe we'll never see Kevin Nash wrestle again. But Oh, well, he would come back. Uh, finally, let's go to ECW. And not a pay-per-view, but there's a set of TV ha- tapings that happened on August 14th, I think in the New York State. Uh, what's the main event of the August 14th ECW TV tapings? It's a tag match. I'll give you that. Oh, no, I, I, this part I know. I know this one. The main event was uh, the Sandman returning to team with Tommy Dreamer. No, it was Raven and Tommy Dreamer against the Dudley Boys with the Sandman showing up. No. Oh, shit. You got, you got one half of the, the equation right. It's the Dudley Boys, and they're, yeah. they're the ECW World Tag Team Champions, but they're not fighting Raven and Tommy Dreamer. Unless I got that wrong. I could have gotten that wrong. Who were they fighting? Uh, okay, either you're right, or I, and I fucked this up, or it's Balls Mahoney and Spike Dudley. Yeah, I think I think they have that match, and the, and the Dudleys are like about to leave for WWF with the belts, and then Dreamer comes out, and I think Raven ends up coming out to save him, 
and then Dreamer and Raven are the tag champs for a bit. And that was like the big first ECW on TNN thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember I remember that angle. And I but according to Cage Match, that wasn't the last match. So I always think of the main event as the last match. That might have been taped Fine. T- taped somewhere else. I had to double check it. I'm not going to fire up my my browser right now to look this up on up on Cage Match, which is a great site by the way. Everyone should use that as a resource. Very very useful place to uh find your wrestling information and results. But yeah, so we come to the end of the, the the trivia and to the end of the show. And Matt, thank you again for appearing on Cruel Summer. I'm always excited to talk to you. Yeah, this has been great. Uh, I, I was supposed to come back for a third time, but I got bumped by like some fancy dude who wants to take my spot. So this is the end for me. This is the end for you. But uh, you know, the secret project I have cooked up, I'm I'm gonna have you on that in the in the fall hopefully if all things go well with this show and then we wrap this up and then i'll start recording the the, the secret project uh, to be debuting in, in sometime in the fall we'll see you'll you will definitely be called upon for that show as well Matt. so don't well, not your I, last I'm appearance su- with me i'm super excited for your secret project and also excited that i get to deal with sort of keiji muto again with that possibly maybe maybe yeah we'll see we'll see well, we don't want to talk too much about it. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. What? How do you say? Put all my eggs in the basket right, right now? No, that's not that. Would, that that wouldn't be the correct metaphor. I don't want to like show my hand too soon. Count your chickens before the hatch. Yeah, that's that's even better. Thank you. I I was looking for an egg, chicken metaphor. You you, you, Look, you saved Worst me. case, Ontario. You we can just talk about them some other time. So it'll be fine. That's fine. Yes. Okay. Anything you would like to plug, Matt? No. I'm plugless. You're plugless. I got nothing. You got nothing. Don't want to. Yeah. Don't want to talk about your Twitter. Keep that a secret. Yeah. Well, I got a Twitter. That's my name. You can find me. Yes. If if you want critiques of uh, the legalities of contracts or uh, people's uh, t-shirt wearing habits, you can find Matt. He's always talking about that stuff. Also, I think your big thing right now is like, what is what? What are the rights fees that or not rights fees that are happening between AEW and? Uh, TNT, because they just announced that at the time of this recording. Yeah, I, I, they don't have any rights fees, apparently. Though it seemed to have been reported that they did have some rights fees. Yeah, I mean, It's an interesting story. I, I, I'm actually kind of looking forward to them starting on a new, uh, a, a new show. I hope they do well. I don't have necessarily the highest hopes because I haven't enjoyed stuff that they've done before. But I think the wrestling will be really fun. So yeah, I as a wrestling fan, as a like overall wrestling fan, I I'm rooting for them to succeed. But you know, like I had a conversation with our mutual friend Jojo Remy over the week, and and we we both said to the, the effect of, you know, nothing led by the elite interests us, you know, but it's good for wrestling, and that's what's the most important thing. So I I don't like this discourse where people like want it to fail. You should want it to succeed because it will make wrestling better. It'll make hopefully the WWE better. Maybe wake them up to be creative and and try at least you know, on their main shows. It, and it'll, it'll, I hopefully make the lot in life for wrestlers a bit better with money and maybe benefits and things like that. That's something I'm hoping for. We'll see. But, you know, it's better than nothing. That's what I say. It's better than not having an alternative for fans and for, for talent to work somewhere else to make good money. So I'm all for them succeeding. I hope, I hope double nothing. I probably won't watch it, but I, I hope it's a success at 60 bucks a pop. You know, good luck to you on that, but we'll see what happens. Can I say some controversial stuff now? Sure. 
All right, number one, I won't pay for uh, double or nothing. If I hear it's good, I uh, might take a look at it through non-paying means. But I don't want to pay for it. It's called, uh, at Post Wrestling, That's we call thing. that nefarious means, by the way. That's nefarious means. Nefarious okay, means that, is that, a code word for like whatever you, whatever you might be talking about, which I have no idea about, by the way. So, Gotcha. And then my, my other controversial comment would be, I don't actually care if wrestlers have more places to work and if they make more money or not. That has no effect on what I get to see on TV. So I only care about AEW's success for the quality of wrestling I get to watch. So if those things have some ancillary effect to make the wrestling I watch better, more power to them. Other than that, that's all I really care about with wrestling. No, that's fair enough. Like I, it I, makes me a horrible person. No, I'm sure, it but I don't care. No, but it doesn't. It doesn't because like you're you're not responsible for people having a better life. That's their responsibility. For me, I just like the idea of options of people being able to negotiate like you know like better deals from themselves because they have a bargaining chip. I don't like because of my own personal beliefs. Like I I don't like corporate masters having the control over the the employees you know like i that's just something that irks me to no end so with that being said if people have if talent has a bargaining chip against vince mcmahon and the mcmahon family kudos if aw wrestlers eventually they don't want to work for tony khan and the elite then they can bargain use vince mcmahon and his family as a bargaining chip that's fine they can use new japan they can use MLW, they can use Impact Wrestling. I don't care, but I just want... I like the idea. I personally like the idea of wrestlers having better conditions to work without being beholden to the whims of, you know, the company. That's just my thing. But I don't think your point of view is actually bad at all. That's because, like, I ultimately, it's their responsibility as individuals to make their lives better, not, not for you as a fan, so... We'll, we'll... And, and I don't think you're wrong in, in saying what you're saying either. I, I agree with all that. That's that's. I can totally understand why they would be all for that. And you know, you use whatever you have to make a better life for yourself. All good. I just want to watch some good wrestling. Ah, me too. At the end of the day, me too. Anyways, well, once again, thanks to Matt for joining us here at episode nine of Cruel Summer, and uh, I'll be back on the next episode. So I'll see everyone at that time. So until then, see you later. Bye.